if you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. On Horse Chat today, we're welcoming Christy Wysocki, who is doing her first chat with us today. Now, Christy is an FEI four-star dressage judge. She's an FEI five-star para judge and has judged at the 2018 World Equestrian Games in para dressage. As a rider, she's also brought multiple horses on from youngsters to Grand Prix. As a coach, she coaches beginners to Grand Prix and she also breeds dressage horses. So she's well and truly within the scope of experts within the equestrian field. Today, we're going to just get to know her a little bit more, and I will ask her to come back on again, of course, but um, let's hope she says yes. Anyway, meanwhile, Christy, are you there? Yes, I am. Thank you for having me today. Oh, Christy, welcome. Welcome. We're glad to have you. You certainly have done a lot with horses, and I think you're a great role model. You know, a lot of things that you've done that people are going to look up to and say, wow, that's what I want to do. I want to do exactly that. So, I love talking to people who are experts in their field and people that do it professionally. I think they're um, great people to have a chat. But, Christy, before we get started, I'd just like to remind everyone about the mission of International Horse College, who are sponsors here today. So they've got a mission to improve the welfare of horses around the world through the safe education of riders, handlers and trainers. International Horse College has been very thorough with the selection of horses for the wide variety of people who already work or are preparing to work within the horse industry. So for more information about these accredited courses, go to internationalhorsecollege.com, registered training organisation 31352. Now, Christy, I didn't ask you, actually, and I probably should have reminded you before we get on, I often ask people about their favourite quote when they come on. You know, and it could be a favourite quote, it could be something that you find when you're teaching, you're continually saying to students, you know, do this, this is really important. Or it could be something you say to yourself, it could even be something you've got hanging up on the wall in your office, or even a quote that's changed your life. You know, you heard someone say it and you go, right, I'm going to make this turning point in my life. Have you got something there, something you can tell us about? I don't know so much that I think about particular quotes. I don't have the best memory. So sometimes I don't keep that kind of stuff in my head. It just kind of comes out at times. But um, I know when people ask me, um, you know, what, what this is all about for me, it really comes down to, I've always been able to find myself when I have felt like I've gone missing, so to speak. I've always been able to go back to a horse and the heart of the horse is always made me grounded again and made me find myself. And I think that's the the amazing gift that these animals give to us. And I think that's the true foundation of why I've spent my life um, with these amazing animals, sometimes 24 hours a day and 20, sometimes 36 hours a day when things have not gone well. Um, but I think it's because I've always been able to find myself when I've felt a little insecure about that, that when I go to a horse, they, it's right there. Mm, mm. I know exactly how you feel, and I'm sure that our listeners know exactly as well. Now, 
we've had quite a few different people on our program who've just always known that they were going to work with horses. But we've also had some who've actually started another career before they've made the decision to work with horses full time. You had a career in engineering, which I find a bit um, to go from engineering, which is such a black and white, it's just a different type of person, I would have thought, engineering, then to go across to dressage. How did you find that? What was the key thing that made you come across? I suppose you've always been interested in dressage. It's a bit more creative and you've got to be more of an artist. But that change to make you come and leave your full-time career and come across to dressage, was it something that uh, like one moment or continuing moments? What made you change your career and go full-time into horses? Well, I, I've climbed up on the back of a horse probably when I was five or six years old and never came back down. In the neighborhood I grew up in, every kid, we were fortunate enough in the situation we were in. Every kid had a horse, and we played on our horses. And um, we, we didn't really ride any serious discipline of any kind. We all just played. And then when I was a teenager, I got interested in eventing. I actually found dressage quite boring and thought it was the necessary evil to get through just so I could get out on the cross-country course. Um, but then I, I've always been very science and math oriented since I was a kid. And I decided I wanted to go to engineering school, which I did. And uh, I went to a very difficult engineering school and had to kind of hang up the horseback riding and only was able to ride during the summer months because the school, the work was just too intense. Um, but I got a degree in metallurgical engineering and actually ended up going into the oil field, which was nothing I would have ever expected in my life um, as a corrosion engineer. And um, I was fortunate enough to work in a schedule where I went to work in the oil field for a week and stayed on location, and then I was able to go home for a week and have a week off. And it was a lot of fun. I had uh, horses in Alaska with me. I was in Alaska, and I had horses with me. Um, that was a challenging place to have horses, but when you're addicted to something, you make it work. So anyway, I, um, I worked in the oil field and um, rode horses as my as my uh, relief in life and my hobby. and But I got quite serious into the dressage while I was in Alaska. With, there was no eventing, and I started getting quite serious about the dressage. And I got quite good at it. And I decided I wanted to compete while I was young enough that I could compete seriously. And Alaska obviously was not an ideal location to even try to do that. So I decided to move to hang up my hard hat from the engineering world and just use my hard hat for riding. And amazingly enough, when I I got better at dressage, when I started thinking at, at about it like an engineer instead of like an emotional female, it really actually dressage is very much based on the biomechanics of the horse and the rider. And I understand those quite well because of my engineering. And when I really put my engineering hat on, I became a much better rider, a much better trainer, and then eventually also a judge. And I used my engineering train of thought 
all of the time because it really does come down to biomechanics. So they're not that different. (laughs) It's a different point of view that you're coming in with. And I think it's very interesting that you're coming in with that point of view and putting so much emphasis on the biomechanics and thinking like an engineer. So sometimes it takes someone thinking just that little bit different to bring something in that's going to certainly complement the whole sport of dressage. I definitely have a much different perspective than than most of the trainers, you know, um, start out as trainers in their early 20s and um, some of them don't go to college. Um, But I definitely do have a little bit unique perspective and I think it's actually um, made me before I really put the two together intentionally um, and was aware of putting the two together, I don't think I was as good of a rider. And I don't think I, I rode the horses as well because now when something isn't working, I always think of it from a biomechanics standpoint and it's much easier to figure out where the mistake was and how to make it better when you can analyze it that way than being analyzing it like, why won't he pick up the left lead tenor? You know, you hear riders say that kind of thing. He, he always picks up the wrong lead or he won't circle to the right and that kind of thing. And instead of asking that question, we need to ask, okay, what is happening here incorrectly that's making it so the horse can't do that? And then when you look at it biomechanically, it takes all the emotions out and make, breaks it down into some, and then you're like, oh, because I was pulling on the inside brain. Okay. Okay. Because it's interesting. So the question I asked you before about dressage, being creative and being more of an artist, and then almost the opposite end of the stick, you know, an engineer, which is very structured and black and white, what you've done is you've you haven't dropped the engineering and then gone, right, I'm going to go completely different to dressage. You've brought in some of your engineering and complemented what you've already learned as a dressage rider. Does that make sense? Well, sure it does. But in, in actuality, though, if you go far enough back in the history of dressage, if you go all the way back, the earliest history they can find of it is Xenophon, which is 300 B.C., um, the preparation, the, the whole point of dressage was the training the horse for battle. And it was very precise and very engineer-like in what they were doing because each movement that we do today in the modern dressage arena was originally a, a battle movement. And it, they were there was total precision about it, and it was all about surviving the battle. It didn't really have anything to do with the art of dressage that we see today that is more like the the pairs, figure skaters, or the ballet dancers dancing together. Um, it originated more as a precision um, prepare for ba- battle. So it, it does have a background that is very black and white, but it's evolved into modern times into more of an art form, just like figure skating or pair, you know, ballet dancing, that kind of thing. It's it's very similar to those now in the in the modern sport. Mm, mm, yes, I've been doing a couple of chats with John and McLean and talking about the evolving, you know, the evolution of the horse, but then the evolving of the rider. Mm-hmm. 
you know, he sort of talked about Xenophon and battles. But anyway, I also want to draw attention to the very clever play on words of white dressage. So when I saw white dressage, <laughs> which is W-W-Y dressage, white dressage, it's like, well, that's normal because that's your name. And, and instead of spelling the whole Waisaki dressage, it's just Y dressage. So I can imagine, and I don't know, you know, Christy at school might have been, you know, if there was two Christies, you'd be Christy Y and someone would be Christy someone else. So I can see Y dressage. But then the more I've talked to you, you know, and you talked about the how and the why, the why comes in there as well. Is that the way that you've sort of talked about why you do things and how your training methodology has adapted and you've sort of used that for your name as well? It actually did evolve from that. Um, I had a student, um, my my last name is Waisaki, um, my married name, and I've, call, I've called my husband wife since before we were even married, and um, I hadn't even ever thought of that as uh, my name for my business. Um, actually until uh, within the last year. And while I was teaching at a clinic one um, day, one of my students has been a student of mine for years. She said, the thing that I love that you do for us is you don't just tell us how, you always tell us why. And that was the start of combining the two words. And I was like, oh, she's right. And then it, and one day I was like, oh, Instead of I can call it. And so that's where I came from. So I had had a farm up until then and we sold the farm. And so I didn't really want to use the farm name anymore because the farm was gone. And now it's just me. And um, so that just evolved out of that conversation with that student. And it it really does explain who I am as an instructor and a judge and a, a trainer and everything that I do with the horses. There's always a Y involved with the W-H-Y. Um, so that's how I chose to go that route. Yep, yep. Christy, if someone is listening to you and thinking, I'd love to be where Christy's at now, you know, just totally evolved in horses, and um, they want to have a career with horses, what does someone need to have a career with horses? You know, what type of person do they need to be? You know, I don't think there's any one type other than to really be successful because it is it is an extremely difficult industry to be successful in. Um, it's very hard to make a living to support yourself monetarily um, because there's not a lot of money in it for the people that are working, you know. Um, and I think that the biggest thing that makes you successful in it is your true love and passion of the horse and the sport. And I don't think that only holds true for dressage. I think that's true for any discipline of riding. But if you truly have the passion for the horse and the discipline you're involved in, you will push through all the pain or lack of money or challenges to get the education and whatever else you need to find the right person to train with. And, and uh, you know, you don't necessarily have to have a million dollars to find the most amazing horse. Some of the best Olympic horses through history have not been the really expensive ones. They've been a horse that somebody found in a pasture and it was a fluke. And I mean, Hilda Gurney's horse, Keen, was, he, she 
bought him out of a pasture for like $3,000. And nobody thought that horse would be a dressage horse. And he was a, not only that, he was an Olympic medalist. And so I think it's more um, your attitude and your approach and that you, you have the passion for it, but you also have the willingness to keep pushing through not just good times, but tough times too. And always keep the horse the number one priority in every decision you make and the welfare of the horse and that the horse is happy in what they're doing. That, that has to remain the focal point no matter which avenue you take and which sport you're in. And then I think you it makes the tough days worth it because you love the horses so much. Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot off the press notification. That is, that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, is now available and the best news is that it's a free download. So if you work in the horse industry, if you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, then this is an essential book for you to read now and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on the 101 careers in the horse industry button to receive your free career book. Imagine, maybe one day you could be a guest on Horse Chats. So the whole... um and I understand there's challenges. And I think particularly when people are first starting off, because really people getting into the horse industry, they're a little bit a dime a dozen. You know, there's quite a few of them. So there's no specialty. They don't have enough knowledge yet. So because they don't have the knowledge, the pay is low. There are challenges. But now that you've got through those challenges and everything's going well, what's the best thing about working with horses and working within the horse industry? Um, the best thing for me when, on, an, on a one-on-one basis with the horse is when the two of us have a moment of magic when I'm riding them or even when I'm just with them in their stall or that kind of thing. But it is truly amazing when you're riding a horse. And one of the things I love about dressage the most is is the less you do, the more you can influence the horse and in a harmonious way. And when you get that connection with a horse, it's pretty darn close to magic. And I think that's amazing. And for students, for riders, um, it's very exciting to me. I really do love um, helping riders get to the Grand Prix level but I also, I've spent this last year doing my own training with a sports psychologist to get better tools for myself to be able to use riders, use with riders in the heat of the moment in, when they're riding and they have fear issues or self-doubt issues. And I've really gained some new tools that I've never had before. And I there have been some some instances this last year since I've been doing that where I've, I've been able to help a rider break through their fear that before they were even afraid to even admit they had it and to, a get them to be able to talk about it and then be able to get them to break through it. 
that is just so rewarding because then they really, truly can have the partnership with that animal that they dream of having. Whereas if they have this fear hanging over their head, they can't quite get where they want to be. And it, and I'm not talking about they have to go to the Olympics. It can be a rider that just doesn't even necessarily show or shows at lower levels, but they can't quite get there when that fear is hanging over their head. And to have been able to help these riders this last year in ways I've never been able to do before, it's, it's just been, uh, it just, it just makes it so worthwhile to see their face light up or they burst into tears of joy or whatever. And you're just like, this is so amazing to be able to help these people do this. And that, that I have to say is even more rewarding than when I get one of my students to do a 10 P off. I love the way that you've come in, you've said, right, I, I love dressage and you've brought in your engineering hat. Um, just to complement it a bit. And now you're bringing in, you know, working with the sports person and the, the mind of the rider and you're helping riders in that way. I think, um, you know, we don't know it all. And I think finding areas to say, right, well, what else can I learn? And having that open mind, having that, I want to keep learning. I want to keep doing this. And what can I do to help the horse? What can I do to help my riders? So I love the attitude that you've got, you know, very, very open and, um just learning all the time. I love that. Do you love that in your riders? I love learning more. I mean, it's right behind my love of horses. I think my love of learning, I, I can't learn enough. In, in any, I'm willing to learn about anything. I love learning. And I think one of the most amazing things about the sport of dressage is I never will learn it all. I will always get to learn something new. Every day I ride, every horse, every day I teach, Every student, every day I judge, every ride, I'm going to learn something I didn't know before if I'm paying attention because no two moments are alike and every moment will will teach me something new. And I love that about the sport because I'll always get to keep learning the whole the entire time I'm involved in the sport. And because I love learning so much, that's like my, okay, I'm happy. This is great. Let's do it. I think just your attitude, you know, the love of learning, the love of progression, that's what makes you a really good expert in the field. Yeah. Christy, if you're going out, and this is a question that I like to ask people because everyone's sort of looking and that's what's good about horses. You know, we all have sort of slow, even though we're all working towards ideally the same thing, everyone comes in with a different background and everyone comes in with different knowledge and different problems they've had and understanding of how to fix it. If you come in, say you come into a barn, you might have, you know, however many riders, new riders for the day, you've never seen them before. Do you find that the first lesson you're focusing on a common thing? You know, whether I'm not even going to put words in, in, in your head right now, but do you say, find yourself repeating, we'll just get this established before we move on? Uh. I think I used to teach like that. I do think I used to teach like that because that's sort of all I knew. But I think I've evolved. Um, uh, I moved to the Seattle area about three and a half years ago. And I didn't expect this to happen. But there's about 14 barns in the area that 
have me come in once every four to six weeks, and I work with the trainer and the riders as a team, with the three of us, and do what we call day clinics. And because I'm doing so many of those now, I really think I have upped my game a lot. And I like to ask the rider without the train. I get the trainer's input too, but I like to get the rider's input as to where they feel they are in good and bad and what their goals are. Uh, some people don't want to go to a horse show and some people, you know, but some people want to make it to Grand Prix. And I think it's important to know what their goals and ambitions are. And I also think it's really helpful to know where they think they are in their riding. And then when you start the lesson and see what's actually happening, I think it's much easier to help them if you know where they're coming from. Whereas if I just start up and say, okay, let's ride, and I don't get their input as to where they think they're at, I could really, I could even offend them because, you know, I could say something where they they were like, well, I thought I was doing that pretty good or whatever. And I think one of the things I've done since I've been working with a sports psychologist and working on this, you know, the fear and the self-doubt, the other thing I developed is I now have a questionnaire that I send to the clinic organizer before I get to a clinic and with new students. And it's a questionnaire that asks them, what are your long-term goals? What are your short-term goals? What is your goal with me during this clinic? What do you want from me? What is it your, why did you choose to ride with me? I want to know your reason, not just, okay, I'm here to, for this clinic. And do you have fear issues or do you have, you know, do you have baggage that, that, that is, is hard for you. And um, it's really been interesting to watch the riders when I go somewhere where I haven't been before feel so much, because riding in a clinic can be almost as intimidating as going to a horse show. People, for some reason, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves when we ride in a clinic with a stranger. And having sent that questionnaire ahead of time, and then they send it back, and I and when I walk in, I can say, okay, so I understand your horse is 11, and you've done this, and you want to do this. It makes them, it makes them feel much more um, that I'm really interested in them, and I'm not there just to do a clinic and get my paycheck and walk away but I really am genuinely interested in each individual and their horse. And it puts them at ease more. And it also makes it easier to get to, especially if you're only working with them one day, or like you said, the first day, you don't spend 15 minutes having to just talk to each other. You can, you can get into some quality work earlier in the lesson by having that precursor already I already know a little bit about them before and and they feel more um secure with me I think if that's the right word they feel more at ease because I've asked those questions ahead of time and that now they know I actually care about that do you find yourself being I won't say being a sports psychologist because you're not but but having chats with people not just about their horses, but things outside their horse life affecting their horse life. So you're having chats with them about 
things other than horses? Oh, absolutely. And sometimes, sometimes if you can get them to talk about something else, if they've got fear issues, you can help them overcome the fear issue because you're talking about something else. And you can distract them and, and, or you can find out that, that, you know, there something's happening in their world right then. And it is, and, and it impacts the way they're riding. And I do a lot of my teaching trying to make the riders understand that when we ride the horse, we have to think like a horse because a horse cannot think like a human. And we have to bring ourselves down to how is this horse going to respond to what we do? They can't analyze it like we can. They can only react. And so the more we can ride a horse thinking like a horse, and and such as they only understand, do this, do this, do this. They do not understand, don't do that, no. And but we tend to ride saying, nope, don't do that. And we instead of always telling them, this is what I want, this is what I want, this is what I want, like the herd leader would do. And the more a rider can learn to do that, the more effective they can be and the more confidence the horse develops in them because they basically do become the herd leader for the horse. And then the horse gets trust. You can get a horse trustworthy enough that they would walk through a wall of fire for you if they truly believe you're their herd leader. Mm-hmm. Christy, I think the influence you've had for our listeners, I think, you know, certainly very positive. You've brought in just a lot of things that we probably haven't talked about before. It's been really good talking to you. I've really enjoyed it. And of course, I'd love to have you back, Christy. We can sort of have a chat about that and, you know, how that would work to talk about, I'm sure, you know, just different areas that can help our listeners, you know, particularly our listeners that are interested in dressage, but I think anyone that's that's just interested in horses. You know, there's a lot of horse psychology in there as well. Um, what are you looking forward to now? You know, is the last, like, I don't know how long I'd just sell your farm or how long you've been doing the day clinics? I think you said about three years. Does the next three years look like the last three years? Is something else evolving? Even how's your coaching since when you first started or teaching how has that evolved over that period of time? You know, I know that you said when you first start, it's evolved, but what about your actual evolving of coaching? Is there anything overall that you'd like to say? You've sort of talked about how you've introduced the, the sports psychologist, but anything else you'd like to say? Oh, I think it's, I think it's the, the biggest thing that I really emphasize now with my riders is to really, and, and I do this too when I'm judging, when I give feedback as a judge, I do the same thing, that it really is important for riders to always remember that it is a team effort and it's always we, it's never he, it's never me, it's always we. And um, I think that's really important um, for the horse to really trust the rider and for the rider, because otherwise we can think that the horse is trying to do something against what we're trying to do. And that's not really how they operate. They really don't. They react in, if they react in a naughty way, it's usually because they're afraid of something. Something has scared them, so they get naughty. And I think that, that that's probably the biggest um, focus of my And I talk about that in when I'm judging, too, of, of you know, of developing 
um, more throughness for the horse so the horse can have more confidence in the connection or the rider or have more relaxation and focus, that kind of thing. It really is a team sport and it has to be we and can't be he or me. Um, and I think that's my, and I didn't used to know how to do that. Not when I started. That's evolved over time. So, so thinking about how you've evolved and what you've done over the last couple of years, moving on, how's the next couple of years looking? Is there anything in particular that you would like to explore a bit more? Yeah, I'm really enjoying the the sports psychology of it a lot and, and developing that more in my teaching. I'm also doing some work online now to be able to reach. I do virtual lessons. I've been doing that for years, but now I do it. Um, uh, when COVID started, I my virtual lesson um, schedule increased immensely. Um, and I'm doing some other work online. And then um, I'm also continuing. A COVID slowed all the judging down almost to a standstill, obviously. Um, and that's all starting to build back up and gear up. I'm very excited that next summer I will be judging the world championships for the para dressage in Denmark. So I'm really honored that I've been asked to be on that panel. And uh, because I love judging also not not the, the word judging is interesting because people you know say oh you're you're making judgment on me but I've had riders come up to me and say oh thanks for the great score at the at, after their ride later and I all I've done is document what you did that's really all I'm doing as a judge is documenting it for you and um it's 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 really when the, when you're in the middle of a really amazing ride as the judge, you really do feel part of it that you're getting to be so close to what's happening and and it's pretty amazing um, experience and it's it's and it's also made me I think it's made me a better rider and a better trainer to also be a judge. But because I'm a rider and a trainer, I think I'm a more empathetic judge because I've I've been in the saddle and I've been in their situation and I, I, I understand that not every moment is easy. How does para-judging differ? You as a judge, not, not the riders, but you as a judge, what are you looking differently to dress up? Just explain a little bit more from a judge's point of view. Yeah, para-dressage is the dressage riding for um, disabled riders. Um, and the word para stands for parallel. Um, and basically, we don't judge it any differently. Um, the riders are classified, that's actually the term they use, by physical therapists and doctors that can evaluate their physical capabilities, irrelevant of their riding capability. They're, they're classified based on their physical limitations, not their riding ability. And they're classified into different grades. And each grade, um, what is included in the test is based upon the rider's physical limitations. There's five grades. Grade one, the riders only walk. Um, they have uh, quite, um, quite a few, you know, they, most of them have, may have no feeling in their legs, that kind of thing. 
they may have some disability in controlling their upper body also. Um, but their test is judged at an Olympic caliber. And so it, even though they're quote unquote only walking, the, the requirements are very high. And when we're judging those tests, we judge what the horse does. We don't, we ha you, you do have to learn to be, you know, you have to leave the emotions at home and, and learn to ignore what the rider is doing because they may be unstable in the saddle or that kind of thing. And you simply judge what the horse does just like you do. Gosh, it's exactly the same. Christy, if people just going back to your, um, your virtual lessons, do you use Zoom, Skype, or do people need to have any other equipment? And also, too, if they'd like to organize that with you, how can they contact you? Um, I, I'm sort of a simplistic kind of person. I'm like, whatever you got, we'll make it work. I know a lot of people only teach with Pixio and Pixo and Pivo and all of those other things. And most of my students don't have a ton of money and they may not have the situation where they can afford that kind of equipment. Uh, some of that equipment doesn't work very well unless you're outside. And um, so I have some students, most of my students, um, I teach them on Facebook uh, Messenger and they, it does require them to have another human being standing there taping their ride. Um, uh, because they, you know, the, the, the Pixio, you can do it without someone taping, but, um, none of my students have ever, um, most of my students want to put more of their money into their horse than into a bunch of equipment. So we've, uh, Facebook works, Facebook live, WhatsApp works, Skype works. Um, it, it's, it's pretty amazing how successful you can be with it. And it's not as ideal as a lesson in person but it's a whole lot better than no help at all. It's, it's, you can get a lot accomplished um, that way. So, uh, and people can contact me on my, on my, they can either go to my website, which is wydressage.com, or they can also email me at wydressage at gmail.com. Perfect. And the other thing is, if you did miss those details, just go to horsechats.com and search for Christy, K-R-I-S-T-I, or Waisoki, W-Y-S-O-C-K-I, or probably just Dressage, and I'm sure you'll find her. Um, anyway, just go to Horse Chats, and if you're really stuck, just contact us and we can give you those details. On Christy's page, at the bottom of the page, will be all her contact details and uh, the link to her website. Thank you, Christy, for coming on. We've certainly, well, I've certainly enjoyed the chat and I would look forward to um, catching up with you again sometime soon. Thank you so much for having me. It's been fun to chat with you. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below. 